the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. And I'm Adam. And today we have another album review for you. We're going back to the 90s to review the Foo Fighters sophomore album, The Color and the Shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I re- definitely remember when this album came out. Uh, I actually was a fan of the Foo Fighters' first album. I remember buying that CD, probably from uh, Media Play, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Yeah. You had your little discount because you used to work there, too. Yeah, I wouldn't have worked there at this point. Yeah, yeah, that was a little early. That was a little early, but uh, it was definitely a shop I went to. Um, and then I definitely remember when this album came out, it being a big deal, um, and loving the songs that were on this album. Yeah. Uh, Adam, what what do you remember of this album? Uh, I mean, I, I think back fondly on this one, and definitely the Foo Fighters in general. Um, I mean, this is a band that I... You know, kind of met either very likely through you, you playing that. I definitely remember you playing that initial album. I remember the one with like kind of like the space gun that's on it. Like that's. Yep. That's the, that's, that's the, yep. uh, that's the, I think it's just a self-titled first album. Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that in like MTV or VH1 plays, I mean, that's very much how I got it or listening to it on like 99X, which was our uh, alternative rock station in Georgia that we listened mm-hmm. to pretty much. So uh, yeah, so I was, you know. Foo Fighters wasn't didn't dominate my world when it came to music, um, but they were definitely up there. As in, like, okay, I, I easily respect these guys, and I'm excited about them. Yeah, um, and and we'll talk about what makes this uh, album slightly different from the first album when we talk about the personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the album was released on May 20th of 1997. Uh, it was recorded at Bear Creek Studios in Washington and at WGNS in Washington, D.C., and at Grandmaster in Hollywood, so kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was produced by Gil Norton, um, who most notably produced bands like the Pixies. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot of kind of indie bands. He did, I noticed he did a couple of interesting ones where like he did two of Delamitri's albums do you remember the song roll with me doesn't ring a bell I'll I'll put it in the episode and you will instantly recognize it. Okay. Uh, But it was not any of those albums that he did. And he also did a uh, a couple of ones from uh, Jimmy Eat World, but not the ones that the middle was on. Okay. Yeah. That's the only one that I would have known from that. Yeah. Uh, So other than doing uh, a few of the Foo Fighters albums, it was a lot of indie bands. Okay. So most notably the Pixies, which I'm sure is probably the main reason why uh Dave right. Grohl picked him. I, I, I pulled up the uh Delamitri song uh and immediately yes. Like the second I heard <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I absolutely know that one. All right, the, the personnel on the album. So the band here's here's the, I'm gonna go into a little bit of a backstory if you don't if you're not already familiar with this. So the Foo Fighters 
album was basically initially just a demo that Dave Grohl did on his own. Mm-hmm. And other than a couple of background things, Dave Grohl did all of the instruments plus the lead singing on the first album. And right before the first album came out, he put together a band to get ready to tour that. So he put together a band before the album released, then it released, then they toured. Uh, at the end of that, they went into the studio to, to record this album. So the band at the time uh, included uh, Dave Grohl, who's playing lead singer and uh, guitar, Pat Smear, who famously uh, joined Nirvana at the very end, and mm-hmm. most people don't know, was an official member. As far as, as all those members were concerned, Pat Smear was the f- second guitar player for the band. And had Kurt Cobain not killed himself, likely the next album would have included Pat Smear on it and mm-hmm. all that stuff. He was famously there for the uh, un- Unplugged. MTV. Yeah, I definitely yeah. remember him from that. Uh, and Nate Mendel played bass, and a guy named William Goldsmith played drums. Now, Nate Wendell, Mendel and William Goldsmith came from another band that was just breaking up, and so Dave Grohl snatched them up. So the the rumor that goes along with this, actually it's not really rumor, it is true. Uh, they recorded all the songs for this album and went their separate ways, you know, as, as a break while the album mm-hmm. was being produced. And at that time, apparently Dave Grohl did not like what William Goldsmith did. So he basically went in and pretty much re-recorded all of the drum parts. <laughs> there are a few parts in there that are are actually ones that he did, but they're like parts of it, like of just the verse part or uh, just a few ones. So basically, um, Dave Grohl just, was basically just kicked him out of the band and said, I'm going to redo all the drum parts. I don't like what you did. And so basically he was kicked out from there. And then they rehired Taylor Hawkins, which appeared with the band in all their videos for this album, but he was not there for the recording. Yeah, because I and, imagine it's like, yeah, he was um, brought in afterwards, and so yeah. he was kind of like a part of the band, but he wasn't exactly. That was after, so it was Grohl slash Goldsmith before that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so and then you know Taylor Hawkins has been his drummer. Yeah. From here, on. in fact, usually when they do interviews, it's mostly just Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins. They really are like they're. Kind of to me the the two faces for Foo Fighters is obviously Dave Grohl, and then when I think of the next person, it's the blonde haired drummer. <laughs> it's, right. it's it's Taylor Hawkins for sure. Yeah. Uh, so in addition to those members, um, the only other ones they had a few other guys play some hand claps. It's not really worth mentioning. <laughs> oh, that but, old famous hand clap player. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but on the song Everlong, uh, pl- doing backup vocals was a lady named Louise Post who uh, very famously was the lead singer for the band Veruca Salt. Oh, okay, yeah. If you remember the, if you remember the song Seether. So she was the lead singer for them, and so she came in and did background vocals on Everlong. Okay, very cool. Uh, Adam, you want to hit us with some uh, statistics before we jump into the songs? Sure. Uh, so this album uh, peaked at number 10 on the U.S. Billboard 200. Uh, at the year end, it hit uh, 124 on the uh, uh, 
124 at the end of that. And um, some other interesting things was, uh, so this album's title came from the band's touring manager uh, of the time, who would often spend afternoons rummaging thrift stores and purchasing strange memorabilia. On one occasion, he purchased a bowling pin with red and white stripes, remarking, remarking to the band that he rather liked the color and the shape of the object. And apparently they just kind of made like an inside joke about the way he said color and shape, uh, the color and the shape. And they chose to use the British spelling of color uh, with the U in it as a tribute mm-hmm. throw in for Gra- uh, Gil Norton, who is uh, obviously who is British. Okay. Uh, and then uh, one other little thing, apparently a lot of, or there was, there was inspiration from this album from Gro- uh, Grohl's divorce to a uh, photographer. I can't remember her name, okay. um, but so the so the album's track listing was apparently designed to resemble a therapy session, splitting the <laughs> album between up-tempo tracks and ballads to reflect conflicting emotions, kind of back and forth and back and forth. Cool. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into it with our first song and our shortest song, which is called Doll. kind of an interesting way to open yeah it's not expected like knowing like you know when i think dave Grohl, i think rock i think uh even though from that first album this is this is a slightly this is a different sound and i agree um you know I'm, I'm used to the grunge i'm used to the the hard stuff and here we get this kind of chill song happening um you know that involves uh, apparently what it's about is involves the fear of entering into situations that you're unprepared is kind of what uh, I've seen that he said that Grohl mm-hmm. said it was about. It's different. It's not bad. Yeah. But what, yeah. what caught me was looking at it and looking at the time, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be some sort of transitional or opening thing. That's not really a song. It's just like something, but no, it's, it's, it kind of, it starts slow and then it comes into like, oh, this is a real song. And then I'm looking at the thing and I'm like, there's 20 seconds left. Where is he going to go with this? <laughs> yeah, I agree. And then it just kind of ends before we jump into the next one. So I, I'm, I'm guessing that because of the, the way that he designed it is the reason, sorry, the way that he designed the album uh, layout is probably the reason why this one ended up first. Yeah, I would think so too. Um, it, it did. I, I was very much with you. Like it felt like this was going to go into because there's other album, other songs on this album that like start off even similar to this or slower or whatnot, and then mm-hmm. they then they eventually get they build into like you know the good, the, the not the good, but the um the you know the more typical sound that we get from Foo Fighters, and so I was kind of expecting something more, and then it was just like you're right, because I, I did almost the exact same thing. Like, oh, this is almost done now what the fuck <laughs> so yeah it, it, just, it left me feeling wanting for the song like there was there was another half to it um or more that that could have i think really improved it yeah uh so i think we'll kind of move on from that one sure it's quick uh, and it, yeah it's quick just like our discussion of it yeah. <laughs> uh and that leads us into the next song which is their as far as i remember was their first single off of this album called Monkey Wrench. Don't wanna be a monkey. 
I gotta tell you, Adam, this song gets me going every time I hear it. Dude, it punches fast, it punches hard, right in the face, and it's one of their best songs. It is one of their best songs. Um, I, I, I love that they gave us um, this cool little rock riff at the beginning that's totally singable. You hear it, you immediately know where it is. Um, I like that they, they have these little punches of silence in there. Mm-hmm. Ba-ba-da, ba-da. Uh, before yeah. they hit you back in and they play that part so well they do they they tease you with it a little bit at the very beginning where they actually hold it a little too long before they come back in which i, I love that i love the, that little little tease or as we learned at as our at our last uh, album review edging Edg- <laughs> wow that, yeah, that stayed with you didn't it john <laughs> well i just edited that episode so that's uh, why it's still in my head <laughs> okay uh but oh man this is this is such a great high energy song uh is a great it's either a great or horrible driving song because sometimes i find myself going a little too fast yeah when i haven't listened to this one yep uh but you you're right it's it's such a good it's like it's it's a punch to the face in a good way yes exactly i want all of the punch the monkey wrench punches uh it's it's a headbanger like i'm just you know just thinking about it i want to like move my head while i'm listening uh great scream voice from David Grohl, like, you know, when yeah. he comes into the later section. And he has a really good scream voice. And uh, I'm just going to th- throw it out there now. We, I think everybody, you don't have to love Foo Fighters music, but I'm not saying you have to love Dave Grohl, but you got to respect him because that man, mm-hmm. he is a living rock god. There are not many rock gods of, like, modern rock gods, yeah. but Dave Grohl is that. Um, he's, like, he's the embodiment of rock music for like our generation and he's the biggest proponent and overall best ambassador for rock music. Ex- that was exactly the word I was going to use. He's kind of yeah. our last rock ambassador. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like, I don't know why I was thinking of um, like, Oh man, but I thought, I thought this for a while. Like I know with, there's a lot of like hip hop and pop stuff that goes to, um, to uh, like the Super Bowl halftime show, but like mm-hmm. get me a Foo Fighters halftime show. Like they've got so many awesome rock hits and yeah. like you know, I know they have. They used to do a lot of, cla- sorry, oh, hiccups, classic <laughs> rock stuff, especially after the whole Janet Jackson boob incident, um, because I was a little bit safer. But you know, there are some good modern rockers, and like right now, there's no one who exactly who who embodies it and who is the ambassador of more. And so like, I think the Foo Fighters absolutely should be on you know be on that stage. But I I would probably actually watch the halftime show, yeah. <laughs> show if it was the Foo <laughs> yeah. Fighters. Much better than the weekends one. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't even watch it. I don't even. I don't even think I actually watched that Super Bowl. The yeah, Super Bowl I, has just done nothing for me lately. Yeah. Uh, but overall, yeah. incredible energy. And as you know, as he promised, we're getting some up and down already. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we will continue to see that. So, um, Grohl apparently stated about this song that uh, it's a song about realizing that you are the source of all the problems in the in a relationship and you love the other person so much you want to free them of the problem which is actually yourself uh and so um he also kind of mentioned that you know it was a riff that turned into another riff that turned into another riff and ended up being just a nice power punk song and it's straight up because it is just get you get that you're right that interesting little riffs that you move on so mm-hmm. um yeah so you definitely kind of do see that therapy session or there's a lot about relationships. And so if, if his breakup um, with his photographer uh, person at the time, the, the woman he was seeing, Jennifer mm-hmm. Youngblood, um, that's exactly ah, I was trying okay. to get her name. 
So, so yeah. So it's cool. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to move on to the next song, which is called Hey, Johnny Park. Wish that I had another stab at the When I re-listened to this album, at this point, I started to get to the point where I was like, oh, I am going to remember more songs on this album than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thing. Immediately, I looked up and I was like, I only recognize the big three by name. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to remember any of these, but as soon as this one hit, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I recognize that the I, that opening riff. And more importantly for, for me, or I should say more obviously for me, was his his sort of melody that he's singing because he's like he's he's on the cusp of shouting yeah he's not quite there he's still singing and he's almost shouting but he's not quite there yeah that riff it's the second that it i mean it was right in the beginning of it though it was like do 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 i was like yes i remember this one (laughs) um yeah the song itself goes back and forth kind of from the chill to the hard yeah um never really gets fully fully intense right on the cusp you know it's that cusp of screaming that cusp of hitting hard and for some reason, actually, there's portions where I think there's like harmony singing. Maybe it's even Dave Grohl singing on top of his his own. Probably, um, but there's something. And you know what? This song in particular just made me think back to a band that I also really liked um, around this time or a little bit later uh, was the band Lit. And oh yeah, the the album A Place in the Sun. And for some reason, this one just kind of made me kind of go back and be like, okay, this 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 type of songs and these types of albums definitely were ones that. Um, I was a big fan of. So one thing that's interesting about this song is Johnny Park is apparently actually the name of one of David Grohl's uh, childhood friends. And he noted we were like brothers at age five to 12. And he named the song after Park in hopes that he might restore connection with him. Just to be like, hey, Johnny. (laughs) Like, hey. uh, Really? Yeah. That's one way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. He named the song after the guy. So that's pretty cool. Uh, All right. Uh, let's move on to the next track, which is called My Poor Brain. So I'm kind of torn between wanting that sort of beginning noise to be its own separate track. Uh-huh. And so you can cut it out. <laughs> so I can cut it out. But also, I actually like the drop. Mm-hmm. I like the transition of it just kind of building, 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 building. And then it cuts to this really chill but consistent groove that happens. Yeah. yeah. And it's also it's also not long enough, I think, to be its own track. 
that's the other problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's only like what forty five to a minute at max or something. Um, and it's yeah, it's not really. Maybe it's less than that. I can't remember. But you're right. It, that transition I didn't love. But you're right. That that you're getting all this cacophony, and then all of a sudden it gets very very chill, mm-hmm. and, and and kind of almost pop, not quite poppy, but yeah, bits of that. Um, you know, we get some kind of catchy stuff, especially that early yeah. on. We get some that Dave Grohl falsetto. He's also singing kind of like high pitch. Yeah. Um, I do like kind of, actually. Sorry. Oh no, no I didn't mean to ahead. cut in. I like the contrast in in the different sections in this song. Mm-hmm. Um, the verse is kind of chill. The chorus, it's a little bit more rocked out. Yeah. But it's not. This is a blackout. Yeah. But he's not going too hard until we get to the bridge, and then you're getting that scream. Yeah. Voice from him. And I, I always liked, I know it's kind of, I don't know, it almost feels like a forced rhyme, even though it does rhyme. But I've always liked the the bridge lyrics, which are sometimes I feel like I'm, sorry, sometimes I feel I'm getting stuck between the handshake and the fuck. Which is a perfect segue. I, I kind of wanted to talk about that. I mean, definitely this album to me, or this song also continues that discussion about a relationship. Um, th- those lines, uh, you've got me on guard. I've got my head start. My head and your heart, the same in the stars. Sometimes I feel like I'm getting stuck between the handshake and the fuck. I can't save you from my poor brain. Basically, the you know things ruining the relationship. Maybe overthinking about the relationship. I can't mm-hmm. save you from my brain. Between the handshake and the fuck. Maybe it's between like you know the, the friendship that you had and then the lover kind of relationship that right. it changes to. Uh, I enjoy this song. You know, I did too. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not a favorite, but it is definitely a good one. And it, it, again, it's another one where starting off actually the beginning i was like mm, mm-hmm. i don't remember this thing and then as soon as it, it dropped into the actual groove i was like oh yeah. oh yeah and then when the chorus hit i was immediately taken back yeah so i was i i was kind of surprised i don't remember i didn't remember more of these songs beforehand because mm-hmm. i definitely remembered as soon as i heard them well we'll go ahead and jump to the next one which is called wind up wow Another great lick. Mm-hmm. I love the guitar lick here. Um, very chromatic sounding, and I love that Dave Grohl follows that with his vocals. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. We get the uh, kind of the, the walk down, chromatically speaking. Um, uh, just another good, listenable rock song. Yeah. You get more of that good Grohl scream in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he apparently mentioned that this song is about the press and then also su- the successful musicians who constantly complain about their lives uh, to the press saying it drives me insane when I hear musicians that don't understand how fortunate they are and that they don't have to go and pump gas for 12 hours a day. They can sit on their couch and smoke pot and complain <laughs> to their friends and that they hate uh, they hate it when someone comes up and says that they, that he likes their band. There are two sides. Uh, there's a reluctant rock star, and there is the prying journalist that almost uh, lives for the re- reluctant rock star. It's just talking uh, about the hand you've been dealt. Every time I hear about the hand you've been dealt, it drives me fucking nuts. Spare me your <laughs> confessions. I've had so many fucking bullshit jobs for the half of my life. For half of my life, you know, working in furniture warehouses and planting trees and planting and painting houses. 
and it's a lot more fun to play music. And I think, I mean, if there's one thing that Dave Grohl definitely shows just in everything he's doing, it's like he appreciates what the fuck he's doing, that he is out there just making music. And maybe that's why he's so, he's such a proponent for, you know, music. And he, you know, he also has like works with some charities about like keeping indie music afloat and music in schools, I think, and other stuff like that. Um, Because this is, it's important to him. And like, he loves what he's doing. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. And I think he's such, such a a student of music. Mm -hmm. Um, He would, you know, I, he might be, uh, you know, I, I couldn't say that, that to be the only one, but he'd be definitely one of the people I would love to sit down and chat with yeah. and talk about older music. You know, talk yeah. about talk about music from the the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and you know, or even before then, like the sixties. Oh, yeah. And and he's gonna know, he's gonna know all the stuff, and and it's you know, I can have I could have a great conversation. Yes, with Dave Grohl. If we if you had to pick like. Say they were like you had to have like a TED talk for every type of music, you know. Yeah. If it was a you know, I'd have one person for R and B, one person for rap, one person for classical. If there was one person for rock, I'd want it to be Dave Grohl because you're right, he is such a student, and he just you can tell he just enjoys talking about it and enjoys yeah. living it. Well, and he's so personable also in his interviews. He's, yeah. I always love listening to him talk. Um, there was a uh, his documentary. I know we've brought it up before. Um, I forget the name of the documentary. Sound Adam. City. Town City. Yeah. It's a great documentary. Um, uh, he was recently on a YouTube, uh, YouTube channel that Brian Johnson, the lead singer of ACDC, did. Okay. Um, I don't know if it was recently released or if, or what it was from, but I only saw it on YouTube. That's why I bring this up. Uh, but it was uh, Brian Johnson just went and met with him and just mm-hmm. you know talked with. I mean, it's to me it's cool that someone like Brian Johnson is going to want to go talk to. Dave Grohl, because that is kind of a different. It's you know, it's yeah. it's the next generation down. I wouldn't say it's a far off generation from mm-hmm. that, but like, he was so happy to talk to him about you know rocket the state of rock and roll and music and stuff like that. It's always cool to listen to you know what Dave Grohl has to say. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the next one, which puts us almost halfway through, called Up in Arms. always forget that this mm-hmm. song picks up about halfway through and that's really where i start l- really appreciating and liking the song when it does its pickup i'm like yes i needed that yeah um but he i mean he does he does give us a, a little bit of a downturn yeah. and it the good thing about this is not only are we getting ups and downs in from song to song we're getting ups and downs within some of the same songs mm-hmm. um sometimes it's volume ups and downs sometimes it's tempo ups and downs um, but we're getting very good push and pull all over the place, which is keeping it interesting. It's not feeling stagnant. It's not like it doesn't it doesn't feel like I'm listening to the same thing from song to song. Uh, I know you brought it up before, but you know it doesn't sound like Helmet. It doesn't sound like it's the <laughs> yeah. same song over and over and over again. Yeah, true. 
Uh, you're right. They, they definitely changed that up. This one, I kind of got, yeah, you, you start off with that real slow, and so then they kind of move into a more, um, like, pop foo sound, foo, fi- foo fighter sound. Like, almost, it wasn't exactly like Big Me, but it's kind of had some more of those kind of vibes with a little yeah. maybe extra guitar to it. Um, so Grohl described this song as a typical love song. It's almost like a knack song, just a simple pop song. That's kind of what he <laughs> what he throws it into. And uh, the last uh, of those kind of repeating lines that it's got, it says, always coming back, I cannot forget you, girl. Um, and the, now I am up in arms again. And then it says, so you can distinctively say in the very last of those lines where he, uh, he does it like three times in a row where he says, I'm always coming back, I cannot forget you, girl. In the last one, he distinctively says, uh, always coming back, I cannot forget you, Gil. Apparently, also another nod to their producer, <laughs> Gil Norton. So they, <laughs> so they kind of, they kind of throw that in. I think that's just kind of cute. Yeah, I never would have picked up on that. So yeah, I, I went back and I listened to it because I because I read that and uh-huh. I was like, eh. and so I listened to like that last line and then I went back and listened to one earlier where he says "girl" and I was like, okay, there's definitely a difference. Okay, so he, yeah, it's obviously Gil. That sounds like something that he just did on a whim, and then they were like, no, 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 we have to keep it. Yeah, that, very possible. <laughs> and that brings us to uh, the next song. And Adam, I don't want your life. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, John, you're my hero. Take your pictures down and shake it out. So, so was this song on the Varsity Blues soundtrack? It was the it was the Varsity Blues trailer. The tra- oh, this song yeah, was yeah, yeah. all over the place at that time. <laughs> that's what that's what I remember uh, okay. about the song. In fact, every time this comes on, my 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 brain goes to someone's like slow motion running a football down the field in the rain. <laughs> that's awesome. Because that's what I remember from uh, the trailer. Uh, yeah, uh, it's another great song, dude. When those drums, that that the starting with the drums like that, yeah, it just that gets me into this song immediately. Yeah, uh, it gets you pumped up. Um, I part of me is interested to hear what maybe William Goldsmith had done. It's really mm-hmm. weird to say that because William Goldsmith was the name of the uh, <laughs> screenwriter for like. Uh, he did Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Oh, okay. He also did The Princess Bride, stuff <laughs> like that. So I always, I always in my, yeah. in my head, William Goldsmith as a screenwriter. Um, I'm kind of interested to see what he did, but at the same time, like whatever Dave Grohl did was perfect. It was uh, it, this to me, just an amazing rock song. It may be like a perfect rock song. It's a very simple song, actually. They don't do a lot of like the kind of changes um, too much. Like you know, they have some of it. But mm-hmm. uh, but not this is a little bit simpler than some of the other ones. But it's just yeah. it brings it it brings it good. It hit number eight on the uh, rock chart, and uh, I would say this is probably in my top three Foo Fighter songs. Yeah, I don't. 
I maybe top five for me. Okay, fair. I don't enough. Want to put it up there. Um, yeah. I think more than any other song, mm-hmm. though, this one brings me back yeah, to okay. like my high school years, and nice. it's probably the Varsity Blues <laughs> connection. But that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I I, that's that, fine. I don't mind that. It it brings me back to those simpler times when you know I was just going to school, you know, playing drums in the marching band. You know, having to spend my Friday nights at the at, at the school uh, for a game I didn't care <laughs> didn't yeah. care about. I was just happy to be playing, and uh, yeah, I you know I don't I shouldn't say I didn't have a bad experience in high school, but I don't. There's not too many things that bring me back fondly. Mm-hmm. Thinking of that, other unless it's related to marching band because that was yeah. that was my big experience. Um, but this song always does. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I mean, the song itself kind of criticizes. Um, idolatry or, or idolizing things and mm-hmm. uh extends or and instead it's kind of like about ordinary heroes you know there goes my hero or, you know it's, he's ordinary uh girl said it's his way of saying that when he was young he didn't have rock heroes he didn't want to grow up and be some big sports hero his heroes were ordinary people and the people that he has a lot of respect for are just solid everyday people people you can rely on and so that's kind of the basis for the song all right, well, let's move on to the next one, which is called See You. These notes are marked return to sender. I'll save this letter for myself. I wish you only knew good it is to see you. Well, I will say uh, he does a good job of bringing us down after that yeah. kind of epicness of the you know, the big drums from from my mm-hmm. hero to just a, a kind of simple little swung yeah song yeah it is it is very just a simple little pop song here um, according to Grohl only he liked it out of the rest <laughs> of the band no one else <laughs> liked this song so. When uh, when Grohl went into the studio, he changed Goldsmith's original drum part to resemble more of like Queen's crazy little thing called love, and so the rest of the group eventually got liked that better as well. Okay, uh, and so it ended up putting it on the album with that. But it is it's bright, it's happy, um, you know, which it's is about, weird because if you look at yeah. the lyrics, it's kind of dark almost. Yeah, it's 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 exactly it's about like so or you you see the lyrics it's about someone that you used to date and you see them and that you still kind of have feelings for them and it's just mm-hmm. almost kind of creepy. You're right, almost kind of dark stuff you can pull from there. I mean, I'm just looking at the like the words of the bridge. I'm done resenting you. You represented me so well, and this I promise you. How could I end up in the hands of someone else? It is it's kind of almost dark and sad yeah. in the lyrics <laughs> until I mean, you I, hear it. Without question, still about this this relationship this yeah. kind of thing which you know what if if you want to if you're going to put together an album that's all about like a single subject if you can do it well it mm-hmm. makes it that time that much more better yeah uh, that yep. much more better i don't really know if that's english <laughs> uh, but you know it, we we've, we've see that if few times you can see like a theme that goes over um i think maroon five songs about jane does oh, that yeah. pretty well uh-huh um, even Adele's 24, mm. uh, does, oh, yeah, pretty, does the black, her, her breakup as well. Yeah. Does that pretty well. Um, so it doesn't always work, but when it does, I think it works well. All right. And we go on to the next song, which is called enough space. I was waiting for something, maybe flying machines that 
this song, I think more than any other on this album, reminds me of Nirvana. Yeah, I I, I can see that. I didn't think um, about that, but you're right. Just just listen to it. Just a little bit of the tone of the you know the guitar choices they made. Um, you know, Kurt did like doing kind of up and down stuff where you know his vo- uh, verses were a little bit more subdued and a little mm-hmm. bit bigger on the chorus. And I definitely get those vibes with this one. It's a, it's a good mix of, you know, it doesn't sound like they ripped it from a Nirvana, you know, take or something like that. It sounds like it's like this. I think the best way of putting it is this song would not have existed if Nirvana had not existed. Yeah. What's that? Oh, God. Halloway, Halloway. That I don't know if I'm, I'm not doing obviously a good job but there's that nirvana song that is very chill and then that chorus comes in and it's a scream cobain with that that bit and this is that does have a lot of similar stuff with this one um grohl said that this song was uh kind of written about a movie called arizona dream which is apparently one of his favorite movies it's a 1993 french american surrealist indie comedy drama has johnny depp in it uh but it's kind of a weird weird thing i've never seen it or even heard of it but um he also mentioned that the song emerged from his desire to create a song that would be a good opener to their set lists with a tempo that mimicked the jumping and bouncing of European crowds in the beginning of sets. So almost like I imagine like the, some of the maybe British punk or something, because it has some of those kind of punk elements for sure on this song. Uh, but it does, it does have a lot of good, good energy on this one, especially going the back and forth. I'm kind of pushing us through some of these middle ones. Not that they're bad songs, but yeah. I'm like, I'm eager to get to this one particular oh. song which i'm sure you can figure out which is uh, it is not this next one uh, but this next one is called february stars one day i'll have enough to think this is a pretty song yeah it's gentle it's nice and quiet it's a start to start and it does it does get heavier but like this is a song i could see dave coming on by himself and just playing in an acoustic setting and it would still (laughs) work fine maybe you read the same thing i did maybe you didn't i didn't Um, but go ahead okay so uh this song is about hanging on by the tips of your fingers and hoping you don't slip and fall uh, the song actually dates back to at least January 1994, when an early take of the song with different lyrics was titled Dave slash Acoustic plus vocal was recorded by Grohl and Chris Novoselic um, on harmonium, which is like a weird instrument, like a uh, organ kind of instrument mm-hmm. uh, during Nirvana's last recording session. Oh. So this actually had bits of it, and it was it said David Dave Acoustic. So it was like originally like a, going to be an acoustic thing for him. Okay. God, I'd be interested to hear that version if it's out there somewhere. It probably is. Uh, Very possible. So, 
Cool. Yeah. Um, but it, it is it's cool because it leads us into... Uh, <laughs> it's cool. It's fine. Whatever. Get, get me to the next song. Uh, like, did you have pretty... more to add? No, I didn't really have anything. I mean, <laughs> so I, the song is. Is, this song's good, and I will I will add, I guess, a tiny little bit. Um, I like the build, and the, you get more emotion after yeah. the build, and kind of a little yeah. bit, you know, more more interesting stuff. But overall, yeah, get, get me to the next song. It's a good transitional song to move us from one to the other. I was mm-hmm. fine with that. Um, all right, so we're going to go to the next one. Which is, uh, you know what, I would, I would not be hard pressed to say this is my favorite Foo Fighter song of oh. all time. Okay, and it's called Everlong. So this song is packed full of energy. Even even when the sort of sonically it's subdued, it's subdued, it's always still moving. Mm-hmm. It, it always feels like there's motion in the in the music. Um, it's it's ju- it's just my favorite one to listen to. Okay, and I like Everlong, but I I would probably put it maybe as my third favorite of those singles. I mean, it's oh. still a very good song. Don't get me any wrong yeah. on this one. Um, I very much enjoyed it. We hit number four on the rock charts. Uh, one thing I do remember, and I think maybe this is because you're a drummer. I don't know what it was, but there was a thing that like, at least like the drummers in my um, high school band, like mm-hmm. they felt that they kind of made it as a drummer when they could do Everlong on set. And that was like a thing that like the drummers were all trying to make sure that they could play Everlong. I don't know what, what that was the thing, but like it just felt like that was a thing. I never really had that. Okay. Thing, but I mean, I can see it. It's a, it is a great drum part. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of a history with with this song. Um, so when I was after I moved out to Las Vegas, right after I left Georgia, um, I I used to be when I was at Georgia, I used to be in the steel drum band. Mm-hmm. Um, and our professor would let us do, uh, or let us submit arrangements from time to time. You know, just arrangements of other songs, just to mm-hmm. make sure that they had enough repertoire. Um, now this is, it was kind of illegal because you're not supposed to arrange copyrighted <laughs> material, but like we didn't, it wasn't for sale. We weren't selling any uh-huh. of this. We were just arranging for us to play on our own. Yeah. And so after I moved to Vegas, I printed out a whole bunch of stuff that I had arranged that I had never given to him and, and e- uh, not emailed, snail mailed it to him. And one of them was an arrangement of Everlong, a song that he was not familiar with. Mm-hmm. And from what he told me later, and thankfully it was everyone everyone in the band was, was still people I had known because I had just left the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them were old enough old enough to remember the song that when the, he put it in front of them, they got excited. Okay. Um, and 
it quickly became one of their favorite arrangements to do. In fact, uh, a couple of those people have gone on to run programs of their own at separate colleges, and that song has been performed at at least four or five different universities nice. as a steel trump song still still uh, your arrangement yeah still my arrangement wow um which it, it's only been passed by hand by by hand to hand because mm-hmm. um, i don't i don't sell it because i don't own the rights to sell yeah, it like it's just ones where hey remember when we did this could you send me a copy of the parts in fact uh, i don't even put my name on there yeah. <laughs> so there's no way to trace it back to me um but I, I love it. Actually, it surprisingly, and the thing is, is it surprisingly lent itself well to steel drum. Um, yeah, I had to, it, I had to change to the, uh, I had to change the key signature um, for it to work because uh, they're limited on which you know notes they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to change the key signature, but it works great. And the drummers loved it because once, even if they'd never heard the song before, once they learned it, or once they heard it, they were like, oh, I have to learn that part. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is a great song. This is one of Foo Fighters' absolute favorites. It's always in that conversation for most of their fans. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the music video at all? Yeah, I remember it being weird. It is. <laughs> Foo, Fighter is good. Foo Fighters are good at, like, weird um, <laughs> weird music videos. This is one that, like, so it was Dave Grohl and uh, a female, well, it's a female in the music video. It's played, played by Taylor... Um, Oh God! What Hawkins. Hawkins. Thank you. Um, and they're kind of like dreaming, and uh, kind of like uh, they kind of invade each other's dreams and whatnot. But you know, this is also kind of one of those that they did. They did a lot of like the cross dressing. Kind of became a thing for them in music right. videos. Learn to fly to me is like they're much more better known. Right. Uh, so, but the, this one had like he had weird punk hair. That's kind of what I remember. He had weird like sp- <laughs> like freaky spikes, like eighties yeah. kind of punk hair. And then it moved to like a horror kind of movie dream. Um, but yeah, like so this song itself was written uh, against the background of the ba- breakup of Dave Grohl's first marriage, as I mentioned, Jennifer Youngblood, um, having returned home to Virginia for Christmas in 1996. Uh, Grohl turned the initial riff into a complete song and wrote the lyrics after falling for a new woman. Mm. So that song's about a girl that I'd fallen in love with, and it was basically about being connected to someone so much that uh, that not only do you love them physically and spiritually, but when you sing along with them, you harmonize perfectly. Yeah. Um, so, Adam, I can say this. Uh, it is not only uh, my favorite Foo Fighters song. It is the favorite song not just Foo Fighters, but the favorite song of a very well-known person. This song was the very last thing to be played on The Late Show with David Letterman. Oh, shit. This song was his favorite song. Famously, the Foo Fighters played it twice on his show, maybe three times. Uh They might have played it initially when it first was released. Um, Sometime in the early 2000s, I think, uh, he either got injured or sick and... I had to go to the hospital and was actually kind of close to dying. Um, When he came back, the producers asked him what he wanted. Like, what do you want to do? And he said, I would like the Foo Fighters to play Everlong. So the Foo Fighters canceled a show in South America to fly back to L.A. to play this song for Dave Letterman. And then at the very, very end of his final show, the band played this song again. Awesome. That's really uh, cool. I actually remember seeing that one live because I wanted to. I was not a huge Dave Letterman fan. 
Yeah. Um, I sometimes I would watch if he had like a particular guest on I wanted to see. I was not a huge fan of his humor, but I do remember I watched the last one because it you know it was a big show for a long time, mm-hmm. so I wanted to see how it ended, and I was pleasantly surprised uh, to see the Foo Fighters come on and play Everlong for his final Definitely. performance. Very cool. All right. And we can end there. No, we're gonna move on. We got two more songs to talk about. I do have to say, I do like how they, and I don't know if this was intentional. I don't, you know, I don't know if they knew which ones were going to be their singles that they were gonna pull off. Mm-hmm. I do like how the the singles are kind of way spread out yeah. throughout the album. Basically, yeah. like right at the beginning, dead center, and very close to the end. Well, because it definitely does kind of force you as a kid. Um, especially if you got like the tape or something, you know, back in the day. Right. Um, but even like in the CD, a lot of times we just say, hey, you let the CD ride. But if it was one where like all the singles were at the top half, we've talked about it before. You just go back to the top and re listen to like the top half and you stop the bottom. But here, because because we listened to the whole album, I, I do remember these other ones. Um, yeah. yeah, they're not they're not as good, but they are still very enjoyable and still nostalgic. Yeah. Nostalgic. So. Well, and I think also even with CDs where you can skip. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we were listening to CDs, we're not sitting around just listening and you can't, you know, you're not going to walk over to the stereo every minute to yeah. just skip. Whereas nowadays our music is right in our hand. We can change that. True. Um, you know, and if you wanted to make a mixtape, you could do that, but that took time. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was a smart idea. I agree on their part to, mm-hmm. to kind of do that. Yep. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the next song, which is called Walking After You. Tonight I'm tangled in my blanket of clouds Dreaming aloud Things just won't do without you Matter of fact Well, they definitely do a good job of bringing us back down. Yeah, absolutely. There's so. a lot of energy with Everlong, and then it's like, oh, where'd that energy go? Yep. So uh, this song is okay. You're right. This uh, it's okay. It's <laughs> it's it's an okay song. It's my least favorite on the album. Yeah. It's an okay song. Um, it was apparently written and recorded by Grohl uh, on his own uh, in the studio in his studio in Washington. Um, so this is pretty much all just him. Uh, which there is an actual version. Uh, that's the version that appears on this album, but the band would later re-record the song with all the members, uh, and f- that's for the X-Files soundtrack. Mm. And that song actually was released as a single, and it hit number 12 on the modern rock charts. Um, and I actually think I, not I think, I prefer the kind of band version. It, okay. It's the tempo slightly up, but it's not much more up, but I just think it feels a little bit more f- full. There's a little bit you know, more interesting instrumentation. Granted, I think there's probably something to the stripped down version, which particularly for Grohl, obviously very emotional. It's a, as he put it, it's a sappy song about getting dumped is, is how, <laughs> what he called about it. And so for having like just a very kind of stripped down version, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, it's just not my favorite on the album. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see the X-Files movie, Adam? I never saw that. I was never a big X-Files guy. I went to go see the X-Files movie. 
Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you anything that happened. <laughs> just whoop went away from your brain. No, I was focused on something else. Oh, hey, <laughs> yeah. I took a I took a girlfriend to go see it, and nice. neither of us could have told you anything about it. <laughs> Noise. <laughs> All right, and that brings us to the last song on the album, which is called "New Way Home." So, to me, it's a listenable song. It's a good rock song. It doesn't really do anything for me. I do like that they kind of speed up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's oh, good. I was just, I was just say, but like overall, like there wasn't really anything about the song that like caught me. Yeah. It, it felt like a good typical Foo Fighter song. Like, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, not a single, but a solid one starts off lighter rock and then it kind of kicks things into gears later. Um, definitely enjoyable. I mean, I liked it. I think it worked out just fine. But yeah, yeah there's not not stand out. Um, one thing that is interesting is, so this album, I'm going to tie in this last song to the very beginning. Uh, this, this whole album kind of tells the story of someone growing and getting stronger. And I say also mentally kind of going back to that therapy session. So this whole album starts off with the line in all of the times that we've shared, I've never felt so scared in the song doll. And then it ends with the last line of this song saying, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. So kind of, you know, it mm-hmm. to me, it really kind of moving from fear and anxiety to the start of self-assurance and resolve, kind of really kind of having some of that confidence and that growth getting over that person um, with this song. So I kind of like that, that, you know, what when you really do break it down, you know, he wanted to make it like this therapy session. He's trying to tell like basically this story with, you know, his, his, his relationship and I guess kind of moving on from it. Um, and I think that it re- totally works. Yeah, I agree. Um, there was a sometimes there uh, there was a bonus track version that had another song that was actually called "The Color and the Shape," um, which I think was actually released as a B side to "Monkey Wrench" when they released it as a single. Um, okay. But we're not going to cover that one. I didn't listen to it, so I'm glad we're not <laughs> yeah. covering it. I just wanted I just wanted to go with the original uh, album version. Okay. All right, so let's go into our final thoughts. Adam, why don't you start us off? This is a really good album, and I'm glad that we listened to it because it brought me back to exactly remembering a lot of these songs that, you know, I wouldn't be listening to. Um, you know, I listen to, to rock stuff, but I would not have, like, gone through all of this album um, for a while. Uh, I mean, the three singles from this album, Everlong, Monkey Wrench, and My Hero, are three of Foo Fighters' best, period. And they've mm-hmm. got so many other great albums. Um, you know, this is these... All, th- all three of those will easily be in a top 10 of anybody's Foo Fighters list. I would yeah. say pretty, pretty guaranteed. Um, I'm throwing out my favorite Foo Fighters song is The Pretender. That's my, uh, okay. my favorite That's a good song. song of all time. It is. But the other songs are pretty solid. Even the one that I will state I didn't I liked the least, which is Walking After You, was still fine. Yeah. And it works with kind of the theme that he was putting into it. So I, I, I just really can't say very many bad things about David Grohl or even the Foo Fighters. So yeah. this is 
this was a an enjoyable listen. Yeah, I had just as much fun going back to listen, being pleasantly surprised, remembering. I would say most of the songs. Like mm-hmm. there might have been a couple that I didn't quite remember. Like the yeah. last two at the end were ones I was like, oh, maybe I stopped that ever long after that maybe. when I listened to it. <laughs> um, but yeah. all the other ones in between, I definitely remembered. I remembered the licks. I remembered the melodies, even mm-hmm. if I didn't remember the words. It's a fantastic rock album. Um, it's it's a nice ride from ups and downs. They do a really good job there. And I think if you haven't listened to this album, it is definitely worth going back and giving the whole thing a yep. listen through. All right, and that was our review of The Color and the Shape by The Foo Fighters. Please join us next time as we break down the 1987 film The Princess Bride, discuss the 90s TV show Wishbone, and recast The Princess Bride using actors of today. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get.